Hannah, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Of course. I'm so excited for you to be on. Um, just for our audience, if you want to start by introducing who you are, a little bit more about you, where you live, what you currently do. Yes. So my name is Hannah Derrickson. I am currently living in Austin, Texas, but about to pick up shop this week and kind of do some traveling for a little bit. Um, and I'm an integrative health coach and functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner, which is a mouthful. <laughs> yeah. And no, I'm so excited to talk about with you about your career and everything, especially because I am studying to become a health coach as well. So I'm sure we have a lot of similar interests and everything, but did you always like know that this is the career path that you wanted to have? Like when you were going to college, is this what you imagined you were going to be doing? Not at all, but I will say that if you would have told me back then that I would be doing this, I wouldn't have necessarily been surprised. Um, no, I, I majored in marketing and minored in fashion merchandising. Um, and I'm still currently in the fashion industry post-college, um, but I've always had a deep passion for health and always kind of kept that on the side. I just kind of never imagined building a career from it. Definitely. And what made you like kind of like, and so I know you like a, what is a functional diagnostic nutrition <laughs> practitioner? So what exactly does that mean? Yes. So obviously with a health coach, right, you're looking at kind of the nutrition, the lifestyle principles, kind of some of those foundational basics that are so important in any healing journey, in any protocol, et cetera. Um, but I really wanted to add on being a practitioner because as an FDN, I'll shorten it to that for now, um, we're able to look at functional lab testing. And I just felt that that was kind of the necessary next step a little bit in getting some of my clients these results, you know, for the people who already are checking those boxes of diet, rest, exercise, stress management, et cetera, and they're still not feeling their best or still feel like something's intuitively wrong, um, then using those functional lab tests to get a deeper look into the body. So ultimately that certification allows me to um, order the functional lab tests and look at them um, from a functional perspective to kind of see what's going on in my client's body from a deeper perspective. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And so what does like a functional lab test like mean? Like what types of tests might you recommend if someone's not feeling their best? Yes. Yeah, so there are a plethora of functional lab tests. And I think, you know, every practitioner kind of maybe has a few in their back pocket that they use most commonly. Um, but for me, I kind of like to use a trifecta of lab tests. So I like to start with blood work. And so obviously blood work is something that your conventional doctor or primary care provider will run, right? Um, but what is different about looking at it from a functional perspective is we are looking at it in very different ranges. So uh, when you get blood work done at your like, like conventional medicine doctor, one, they're probably not running as much blood work as I would like to see in order to really check in on all the systems of the body. But they're also using ranges that are based off a very large subset of the population. And that large subset of people includes people who are taking care of themselves, but it also includes people who might not be really taking good care of themselves and are not feeling their most they're most optimal. So the ranges that I look at and when I look at blood work are much smaller because um, we want you to feel your best, right? We don't want you to not be sick. We want you to feel your best that you can. Um, so looking at a smaller subset of ranges and making sure that you fit into those and then using them as tools to identify patterns in your blood work that then can point to certain things, whether that be mold toxicity, hormone imbalances, gut infections, et cetera. Um, so blood work is a really great one to start with. And then two common ones that you probably heard of are the Dutch test, which is a hormone panel, um, and the GI map, which is a gut test. And I find that's the most common service that I have is I run all three of those. And I find when you run all three of those, you get a really comprehensive view of what's going on in the body. Um, and you're really able to check a lot of kind of different systems there. So there are different functional lab tests like food sensitivity tests and heavy metal tests and things like that that can be utilized when needed. Uh, I think it just depends on my client as well. Definitely. And so when you're taking a look at the lab test, like what patterns might like kind of stand out to you and like help you identify what the deeper issue might be? 
Yeah. So um, and nowadays we see um, a lot of patterns pointing towards like heavy metals. We're exposed to heavy metals in our water and even some of our produce, right? Our, our soil has heavy metals, so we can buy organic produce, but that doesn't mean it's heavy metal free. It's just chemical and pesticide free, et cetera. Um, and then, you know, pointing towards mold or pointing towards GI inflammation, which we're seeing a lot of, pointing towards different hormone imbalances. Obviously, thyroid dysfunction is a big one that we're seeing now. It's different infections like that. Um, it can kind of also give you clues into what systems of the body might be needing some help. For example, if you're experiencing some liver stress, um, you know, are you struggling with acne? And that's kind of a root cause of the acne and, and so on. So it can show a lot of different things and, and lead to a lot of different symptoms, um, but it really helps to connect the dots. Definitely. And what would you say is like the most common kind of themes among like when you get the results back, like from your clients that you've seen, like what seems to be the most thing, like things out of whack or does it really range by person to person? It ranges. I would say, you know, with working with a lot of women my age who most likely have been on birth control at some point in their life, um, we are seeing a little bit more of just GI inflammation and some markers pointing towards that. Um, we're seeing um, thyroid dysfunction. Um, I haven't seen a perfect thyroid yet. Um, uh, different things like that. I think um, mold is kind of a big one too, which sounds so scary and crazy, but, um, you can be exposed to it in a lot of different ways, especially if, you know, you were living in like an old college home, um, et cetera. So a lot, of, it's kind of all over the board. It definitely depends on the person, but definitely seeing some wonky markers here, especially just kind of as we're exposed to more environmental toxins in general. Definitely. And so when you talk about mold, like what, um, or like the symptoms of like, maybe like you have mold in your system or like, and like, like you said, what are some other like potential causes? Cause like for me, like, I feel like it's probably so, so much more common than people think it is. Yeah, it is. And it, it, it's weird too. Cause like I said, you don't hear about it and it sounds really scary. I would say, um, it's honestly the most part that I see it's coming from is like homes or maybe an office building that you're working in. There's having mold growing in there, um, that you just can't see it's in the basement, et cetera. Um, and those symptoms can mold can really affect everything. I mean, it can cause hormone imbalances. It can cause, you know, poor lymphatic drainage and that can cause acne. It can cause um, gut infections, et cetera. So it depends on the person and how their body is kind of handling it, but it can, it can be a root cause to a lot of different symptoms. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I just like, I have a question about, so I know like sometimes like the functional testing, like a lot of people like are so interested in that, but I feel like some people think that they're really expensive or like how much, like what does the pricing look like? Like does insurance typically cover things like that? No, not typically. I think that eventually we'll get to the point where, you know, it is becoming more common nowadays and people are getting more interested in it. And so I hope that in the future insurance will cover it. Um, that's one of the reasons I really wanted to introduce blood work to my practice because blood work is the most cost effective, right? Um, so I personally don't take insurance right now. I think there are some like, you know, larger functional medicine practices that have been able to take things like the um, HSA accounts. Um, but for the most part, no, it's not covered by insurance. It can be pretty costly. I would say that the majority of functional lab range or functional lab tests range from like maybe 300 to 500 dollars um depending on the test that you're doing but i mean we can get a we can get a good blood work panel for like you know 300 to 200 dollars depending on you know who you're working with and how much you're running in that blood panel definitely and i agree i think eventually these things will be covered because i think like health coaching and like the things that you're doing are like the future of our health system just because i think it's just addressing it like the like people's health before it becomes like a a worse like I feel like we just are you know preventing it versus now like treating it um so I think I agree eventually it will be covered 
Absolutely. I hope so. <laughs> and so like if someone's first comes to you and like, and you're past the point of like helping them with maybe just like changing some lifestyle things and like want to really start think, looking at the test. Is there like a certain one test that you always recommend someone like gets initially or it's just going to vary based on like the symptoms they have or like it what's will, your thought process? It will vary based on the symptoms they have. You know, if someone has come to me and they're like, hey, I just got off birth control. I'm experiencing these crazy symptoms. I've gained weight. I've got acne. I'm not sleeping well, that kind of stuff. Then, okay, we're running a Dutch panel and we're checking in on your hormones, right? If somebody is like, I'm insanely bloated. I can't like – my digestive function is just kind of like in the trash. Then I would recommend a GI map. The kind of like – catch 22 is that your gut can affect your hormones and your hormones can affect your gut and other systems of the body are being affected. So it, it can depend on the person. I think most of the time what I'm learning is we can get a really good picture through blood work of what's going on. Um, and so I think if somebody was like, I've got stuff, I've got a lot of symptoms, I'm not really sure what's happening. I would run towards blood work if they could only, you know, do one test. But I think it's definitely um, based on the client. Have they had any um, lab work done before? Can they get some blood work from their conventional doctor, even if it's not everything that we need yet? Like, where can we work with them to get as much information as possible in the most cost-effective way too? Definitely. That makes a lot of sense. And I agree. Like, everything really is connected. Like, if you have a hormone imbalance, it could be causing some issues in the gut. So I completely agree. So once you get those lab tests back, what and I know it's going to vary client to client, but like, what are like your next step recommendations? Like maybe if we talk specifically about like, if there's a hormone imbalance, like what would be your next steps with the client? Yeah, absolutely. So typically when we start, if we're, if I'm running all three of these tests, right, the blood work, the hormone panel, and the GI map for the gut test, we get our blood work back first because blood work comes back in a couple of days, right? It's pretty quickly. So from there, I'm able to kind of like see what's going on, get a general overview, and then kind of establish this initial protocol. That initial protocol pretty much always includes addressing our detox and drainage pathways, right? Because no matter what we find in the gut, no matter what we find in your hormone panel, if we're going to kind of be eradicating toxins, eradicating gut pathogens, et cetera, we have to make sure that your body can optimally detox and drain everything that we don't want in there because that toxic burden is going to affect your hormones, going to affect your symptoms no matter what. So that's kind of like first step pretty much with every client is those foundational supplements and things to make sure that your body is properly ready to detox and drain. So that can look like aloe vera juice is a great one. Um, that can look like supplements to make sure that you're having proper digestion and elimination. Um, that can look like dry brushing to get the lymphatic drainage system going. So it is definitely dependent, but there are some foundational things. Um, I love adding in binders at this stage to kind of start getting rid of some of the toxins, um, a biofilm buster, et cetera. And then as we kind of move into the deeper protocol, we get more um, results back and more tests back, it becomes more individual, right? And we do we need targeted liver supplementation to really help your liver really stress? Do we need a heavier duty or heavy duty binder to really get some of that mold out? Um, so it kind of really depends, but the protocol will change throughout the course of our time working together. I typically like to work with somebody for three months to kind of really get into it and, and see, you know, what, what their, what really might be the root cause of their symptoms. Um, so it typically kind of looks like that first drainage detoxification foundational protocol. And as we go into it, you know, hormone imbalances specifically to answer your question too, they're not really your root cause. You didn't just, you know, weren't born with your hormones imbalanced most of the time, right? There's something that caused that. And so more so than just like giving you these things to fix all your hormones, like why were they imbalanced in the first place? And then, you know, where can we support? Do you need DHEA supplementation, right? Um, is your estrogen tanked? Something that I love looking at and I think is a great reason to run all three of these tests is 
um, cholesterol and B vitamins synthesize your hormones, right? So if we're seeing like super low hormones, like someone's got super low testosterone, super low estrogen, et cetera, then that could be one thing. Okay. Now we have to find out why they have that. And so through the blood panel, we can test their cholesterol. And if they have low cholesterol, there still might be other reasons why those hormones aren't balanced, but we have to at least start there and get their cholesterol levels to a healthy level so they can actually start properly making those hormones and have proper hormone function, if that makes sense. So it's so case by case. And honestly, each one is like a, a big puzzle of solving to kind of figure out what kind of was the root of this and how do we start, you know, fine tuning it to get everything back into balance. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And it's all so interesting. And I think like your body has all the answers. So it's like sometimes doing those tests to like get more in touch, like sometimes just like letting your body tell you like being intuitive, like that might not solve it. And I think sometimes having to get those like extra tests will like really help you get to the root of the issue. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Your body innately wants to heal itself, right? Your body's not trying to be imbalanced and have this lack of ease in the body. It wants to heal. And so we have to do the things that are going to kind of just push it down that path so that it has the raw materials and tools that it needs to properly heal. Yeah. Like, so I know, like, like you said, like we're not really born with hormone imbalances. Like our body is born, like usually at like optimal health, I feel like for the most part, but there are things that I'm sure like we're exposed to or that we put in our body that like don't necessarily help it. Are there any like kind of like health trends or like foods or things that like people are like putting in their body and they think are good for them, but like might be actually harming them more? That makes sense? Yes. I would say like kind of the first thing that comes to my mind is like some of the energy drinks. Like I don't know if people are really thinking that's healthy for them, but some of these just like more processed um, foods and energy drinks that are like kind of getting you to achieve a certain physique, right? Like these protein bars that seem to be healthy to get protein in, but they're actually packed with a lot of different like ingredients that are not so good, right? Um, All of these kind of like cheat codes around actual real food. I think people, and even like I've seen on TikTok, you know, there's a lot of like a trend of, I've seen people like eating Rice Krispie treats before workouts to like, you know, fuel up and things like that. And it's just like, you know, where did we kind of lose sight of what's, what we used to do, what our ancestors used to do, what our body actually needs. And we lost sight of it because, you know, we're trying to achieve this certain physique or kind of like overrule our body where it's asking for something else, if that makes sense. Um, like over-exercising is a, is a big one. I think people want to hound it. Even something like 75 hard, right? Like I love a routine. I love establishing good habits. But sometimes if your hormones are out of balance, if your cortisol is depleted, you do not need two workouts a day, right? Or if your minerals are out of balance and you're dehydrated, you don't need to be chugging a gallon of just plain water a day. And so I think some of these trends that work for some people can really get others on the wrong track. Absolutely. I agree with everything you said. And I think that like, there is so much noise, especially on social media. And like, there's so much like misinformation as well that like, like you said, we've lost sight of like, why we're doing the things that we're doing. And I think that health is really comes down to like really simple things. Like if you think back to how like people like feel themselves, like I feel like hundreds of years ago, they weren't, you know, eating these processed food. They weren't doing all these other things, but they like were healthy. And I think that health is really simple. And we overcomplicate it so much by adding in all these things and focusing so much on the health. Whereas like, I think you just need to focus on eating like more whole foods and like eating foods to like fuel you versus, I don't know. The intention behind it, I think is why some people get lost in that as well. Absolutely. I think there's an aspect to, you know, where looking back at 
what our ancestors did and they were eating real whole foods, right? However, I think we do have to take into account that we are now in our generation exposed to more toxins and more outside things, I'll call them, like more than any other generation was, right? And so while we need to do all those foundational things of just, you know, eating real whole foods, getting adequate rest, moving our bodies, there are, I think that there is this other like level up of like, okay, we're exposed to more things now. We have to help our bodies more than they did previously because we're just, we can't, we're not meant to, you know, bear all of this toxin, toxic burden. So we do need extra liver support. Like, you know, even something like sitting in a sauna and dry brushing and things like that to kind of help our bodies a little bit more than we've ever had to in the past. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. And so what are some of like, I know we talked about like mold, but like, what are some other toxins that we could be exposed to that we weren't like previously, like our ancestors would not have been exposed to? Yeah, um, things like glyphosate, different chemicals and pesticides sprayed on crops. I think that coffee is a big one. You know, we are drinking a lot of coffee nowadays, and um, most of it isn't tested for mold and mycotoxins um, and pesticides and all that kind of stuff, right? And so to me, I, I understand that, you know, preventative health can be kind of costly in some ways. However, what I always recommend to my clients, I'm like, if you are, there's something that you're putting in your body every single day, like coffee, it's worth splurging on because every single day, like what if there's mold in there, right? And you're just, that's the first thing you're putting in your body every morning. And so I think there's a plethora of different um, toxins in our cleaning products as well. Obviously, there's a lot of focus on the toxins and chemicals um, and in different ingredients in our skincare products and our body care products. So I think it's just this, you know, combination of different heavy metals, mold, mycotoxins, chemicals, pesticides, herbicides, et cetera, in so many things that we are coming to contact, in contact with on a day-to-day basis our water supply right um things like that too that they're all just getting to us through so many outlets and to an extent you can't control those right you can't control how well the water is filtered when you go out to eat at a restaurant and nor should you worry about that right you like at a certain point you have to live your life but that's why these preventative cautions of um making sure that your body is able to properly detox them is so important Definitely. And I'm sure, I mean, there's obviously so many ways to reduce the exposure that you have, but like at least around like maybe food and like the way, like where you go and buy your food or like how you clean it and everything. Like what are your recommendations among that? Yes. I love buying local when you can. I understand that's harder depending on where you live. Uh, like here in Austin, we have so many great areas like farms to buy eggs from and um, like local pasture-raised meats from and things like that and farmer's markets that you get local produce from. So that I think is like the ideal thing, right? And then I always think there's the ideal and there's the realistic. <laughs> and so it's like, I try to buy, you know, eggs and meats and different like pasture-raised items from the local farm stand when I can. Realistically, I don't make it to the farmer's market every week. I'm going to Whole Foods and buying some of my produce, right? So, of course, buying organic when you can. I love um, the environmental workings, group, working groups um, clean 15 and dirty dozen list because then that's kind of telling you, if you're not familiar with it, um, it's telling you which produce that year is more likely to have more pesticides on it. Um, that's the dirty dozen. And which produce is tested and it's kind of leaning towards the side of like, there's not too much exposure here. You're okay to buy those not organic. And so if someone's like on a budget, I say, look at the dirty dozen in the clean 15 list, right? The clean 15, don't worry as much about buying those organically. Um, dirty dozen, make sure you spend the money there and buy those organic to kind of limit that exposure. And there's of course like things like bananas and avocados that have that thicker skin. They're less likely to be exposed to some of those chemicals. So not as important to buy those organic, but the things like berries where they have you know no protection around them to shield them from any um, pesticides, et cetera those are like what I, my non-negotiables of buying organic. Yeah, that is so interesting. And I'm definitely going to like check that list out. I've never even heard of that. Yeah, it's really good. It's it's super insightful when it comes out every year. Yeah. And so what like is the, like, I don't know if you just mentioned this, but um, what's the difference between like 
foods that would be on like the cleaner list and ones being on the dirty dozen list? Like, why does it switch? It's so that's like, I don't really know why it switches each year. It's just when they do the testing, kind of which foods um, have more pesticides on them. And so I don't know if it's just the certain farms, the crops. I don't know exactly what it is that makes them switch. And to an extent, they won't like differ a lot. Like you'll kind of see the same foods show up on the clean 15 and dirty dozen, um, and then a few switch. So that's a, that's a good question. Yeah, I don't know exactly what makes them switch, but it's essentially, you know, with the testing they do, how much they're exposed to those chemicals and pesticides. That makes sense. And just for like the audience, and honestly, myself, I don't totally know the answer to this, but like, what is the difference between like regular, you know, vegetables or organic vegetables or like organic fruit? Like what, like, what does the organic really mean? Yes. So this is what I always like to say too. And we don't live in a perfect world, right? The organic is essentially, I'm probably going to butcher this a little bit because I don't know it verbatim, um, but it's not sprayed with those chemicals, pesticides and herbicides, right? It's grown organically. Now the soil is the, is the problem, I think. The soil can still have the heavy metals and we can't control that yet. So I don't know the exact like definition of exactly, you know, which, which, what they're not sprayed with to classify as organic. I know it's like, you know, the no pesticides, the no chemicals, all of those harmful additives. Um, but I'm sure there are still some workarounds to where it's not perfect. And as far as like the transportation of nutrients, when you buy a local, not only are those farms smaller and able to control what they're spraying on their crops more and not as regulated, um, but they're not traveling as far. So they're more nutrient dense. And so I think all in all, organic is kind of like the middle ground. Organic doesn't mean perfect by any means. I do know that. <laughs> um, so like local is great. And then organic when you can on some of those berries, just to kind of like help rid some of that toxic exposure. And then I like soaking um, my fruit and vegetables in um, some filtered water with some apple cider vinegar and baking soda to help kind of get whatever, whatever's on there out of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, a few things on that, like the soil, I actually saw recently just like that the soil is the deeper issue, which I thought was so interesting because like, it's also like the meat that we eat, like eats the plants and like that the, the plants are grown in the soil. So I think that is so interesting. Um, but I also had heard that thing about, um, I saw like, um, a person I follow on Instagram, clean her fruit and vegetables with the way that you mentioned. And it was like kind of gross how many like pesticides and like parasites came off it. I know it's, it's weird when you do it the first time, you're like, how have I not been doing this in the past? <laughs> I know I don't do it yet, but I probably, I mean, I might, I might as well. Yeah. Um, when you get in the habit of it, I feel like I just like it's second nature now. I just kind of like soak them when I get home, but it definitely goes a long way. Totally. Does like in the like the things that you put on it doesn't change the taste at all? No. Nope. Oh, so interesting. Um, okay, so kind of like backwards, I know a little bit just because I know we talked about functional um, lab testing, but before like if you have a client come to you and they just want to really focus on like improving their health, having optimal health, like what would be your initial recommendations in like working with the client? Yes, I think you know a lot of the people that I am seeing. Like I said, they are doing those um, checks of they're already eating a pretty clean diet. They're already focusing on their sleep and getting some sort of movement, et cetera. So I think it one depends on, you know, you got to meet the client where they're at and how much are they doing? What kind of roadblocks do they have in their life? You know, maybe they're not able to get a lot of sleep. Maybe they have a newborn baby and things like that. And so it's meeting them where they are and identifying little gaps of where they could use improvement. But from there, like, let's just say they're, you know, doing all the things foundationally through diet, rest, exercise, and stress management. They're, you know, doing some yoga, meditation, they're working out a couple days a week. Um, they're eating real whole foods, et cetera. Then I think, okay, where do we, where do we throw in those level ups? So that would be something like 
let's get a high-tech water filter that's filtering out those heavy metals and other contaminants that something like a Brita is not going to filter out. Um, let's get clean coffee that's tested for mold, right? Um, can we optimize skincare products? Like, can we start kind of switching those out? Um, can we really optimize your sleep? And when I say that, I don't think that most people are really getting like the deep sleep that they need. Uh, I think everyone's guilty of this to an extent, right? Like screen time before bed is going to raise your hormones. So it's like, how do we have this perfect sleep hygiene routine to where you are feeling so rested by the time you like get into bed where maybe that's CBD, maybe that's some tea, maybe that's red light, different things like that to kind of like optimize the sleep routine. I think everybody can can use help on no matter like how good you are because there's always going to be life stressors that come in and kind of mess that up a little bit um but then yeah i think you know adding in certain supplements too i don't like to rely on supplements i always say that for most of the time supplements are a support not a solution however there are some things i love like key aminos if they want to see more results in the gym right and they are working out can we uh, add in those aminos to their diet and kind of get some of those get more of those amino acids into their bloodstream um but then i think you know, when we do this testing, we always find something like, even if they are doing everything, when we do the testing, we always find something, which is why I wanted to do it in the first place, honestly, because a lot of people are coming saying they're doing all these things right. And they're still not feeling their best. So when we do the testing, I, you know, like to test for proper protein digestion. Um, there's a marker on the Dutch test, which is the hormone panel, um, called Indican, which indicates protein putrefaction in the small intestine. So that's essentially the decay of protein, which I know sounds kind of gross, but if somebody's not properly digesting their protein, then there's going to be a slew of problems. One, body composition is not going to be as optimal, right? Because you're not digesting the protein and getting those amino acids. Two, amino acids are precursors to neurotransmitters. So if someone's experiencing anxiety and they're not able to properly digest their protein, then there's going to be a disconnect there because they're not getting those amino acids that are precursors to neurotransmitters to then calm that anxiety, if that makes sense. So I think that no matter how flawless of like a, a wellness life everyone is living there's always something you can find on the test um that will be very specific to the person um and you'll find little ways to like level up their life and optimize their routine supporting their adrenals um finding different hormone imbalances i think you can always support the gut the gut's always gonna need a little reboot every now and then so there's a plethora of things for sure yeah, no, I mean, it's, and it's so interesting how like individualized it is. Like it really depends on the person. It really does. And, um, I know you just mentioned a little bit like about anxiety, how, like, can you talk a little bit about how just like how our like health is really, or how our mental health can really be impacted by like the things we're exposed to, the foods that we're eating, the type of exercise we're doing, things like that. Absolutely. So one example that I always love to give to, cause I feel like it, I, I learned best through metaphors. So I feel like, um, having some metaphors is always good, but when we think of the gut-brain connection, it's talked about. If someone's listening to this podcast, they've probably heard about it to some extent, right? But I don't think that we understand how much of an impact our gut has on our brain and our brain has on our gut. So first perspective, the example I like to give is think of a time where you've been excited and you've had butterflies in your stomach, right? You feel the butterflies in your stomach. It's a thought that you had in your brain that you immediately felt distinctively in your gut. Or turn it on its flip side, um, a time that you had a pit in your stomach, another thought you felt in your brain and you immediately felt a pit in your stomach. Now, when we go through our day-to-day -day lives and we have many stressors with work or um, mental, emotional trauma or family stress, things like that. Maybe you're not feeling that big, you know, surge of butterflies, that large pit in your stomach, but your gut's still feeling it to some extent, right? And that's wreaking havoc on the lining of your gut and your overall microbiome. And so I think little things like that, um, addressing the mental and emotional component from a physical aspect and a pure mental aspect. Like you've got to address both at the same time, if that makes sense. Um, and to your point about kind of some of the things that we're exposed to, if we have this overall toxic burden and our liver is stressed and like 
we're essentially backed up with toxins that can definitely make us um, more anxious because our, 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 the systems in our bodies aren't functioning as optimally, right? We're not eliminating those toxins. We don't want to be uh, kind of filled with these things. And, and more importantly, when we are, you know, exposed to those toxins, like let's say we have mold, it's going to affect every system of our body and that can absolutely create anxiety too. And so um, I think that's also why I love the Dutch test too, because there are some markers for like dopamine and different neurotransmitters on there um, that we can kind of start to see if someone's really maybe suffering there. And then, you know, if I see a GI map that's kind of lit up like a Christmas tree and some blood markers that can point to more anxiety and depression, there can absolutely be a lot of telltale signs and the physical data of it. Yeah. And I agree. I think mental health is so tied to like, like everything that we just talked about. And I think that, um, when you like feel like physically uncomfortable or your body's not functioning and you're going to be uncomfortable. And when you're uncomfortable, you're not going to be like, you're going to be more anxious. You're going to be more depressed. You're not going to feel your best. So it like makes sense that they're so connected. Yes. And I think, you know, health at the end of the day is a way to strengthen the relationship with yourself. It's really hard to feel bad about like a body or someone that you're taking care of. So if you take care of yourself, like I'm, I'm a full believer that health is the common denominator in everybody, right? No matter what you're experiencing in your life, your mental, emotional stress, the anxiety you're taking on, um, depression, that kind of stuff. If you pour into your health, you will improve those aspects of your life to some extent, right? I totally understand that, you know, there are mental illnesses that are far beyond my scope of practice right now, right? That doctors need to deal with and I'm not qualified for that at this time at least. But to an extent, if you improve your health in ways of, you know, moving your body, getting to the root of the root, getting to the root of symptoms like um, poor detoxification or gut issues, you will improve that mental and emotional aspect of your health. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like I've noticed when I take like care of myself, like I'm resting enough, I'm getting enough sleep, I'm eating nourishing meals, I'm moving, like I feel so much more confident and like happy because I'm also just like proud of myself for like treating my body with so much respect. So I like completely agree. Exactly. It's such a big thing too. And I, I hope through like even just my platform that people will use it. I think health is a tool at the end of the day, right? It's like health is a privilege. It's also a responsibility. It's also a tool to use and have in your back pocket when, you know, things are getting tough, you lean into your health and that's kind of the best way to go in my opinion. Definitely. And so because you are so educated on all these things, are there some like daily practices or just things that you implement into your life that like help you reach your optimal health? Yes. So I think there's a, there's a couple that come to mind. The first one, probably going to be a basic one, but I've sworn by this for at least 10 years now, um, is warm lemon water in the morning. Um, I love it. I think that everything works differently for different people, right? But for me, I love it because it helps my digestive system. The lemon um, gets into my bloodstream and starts detoxifying. And so I love warm lemon water in the morning. I also love to add a little salt for electrolytes there. Um, that's like kind of a practice that like I do all the time. I do it when I'm traveling. I'll ask for warm warm water and lemon to my hotel room when I'm traveling. Like I keep that and I feel like it sets me up for success. And then going on top of that too, even if I'm having like zero supplements in the morning, not a green juice, not a fancy matcha, I'm always, whatever I'm putting my body first thing in the morning is like real whole foods. It's like a smoothie or at least a clean protein bar. Like if I can get, even if I'm traveling and I have like no access to anything, like the first thing going in my body is always something as clean as it can be. And I think one that directly affects how I feel all day, physically and mentally, if I'm not putting clean foods in my body first thing in the morning. Um, even, even if I've had a few drinks the night before and I'm like hungover, like I have to put something clean in my body that first thing in the morning because our blood sugar is lower and our digestive fire is kind of higher. Your body's and your gut is like ready to absorb whatever you want to give it. So I always like tell people like, you've got to pay attention to your breakfast, which is what you're breaking your fast with. Right. Um, so warm water and a clean breakfast, like 
kind of a non-negotiable. Um, I've really gravitated also towards journaling. I think that everybody, you know, has different stress management techniques that specifically work for them. And I, ha I do meditation. I try to get it into my routine as much as possible. I don't gravitate towards it easily, right? Like it's not a thing that I just like am always doing in my daily routine, but journaling I found to be really easy for me in this season of life. It can be quick, five minutes. I can kind of like, you know, jot some things down that are on my mind. And I feel like that really helps me clear everything out. It's something I always come back to. Um, so journaling is really helpful. And I think moving at any time or of any kind. Movement is so important. And I think I don't care what style of movement you're doing, right? If you have certain body composition goals, then yes, there needs to be some attention to that. But hot yoga, cycling, weightlifting. I'm a huge component of weightlifting though for just muscle strength, um, for longevity. Um, but movement in some way, I feel like no matter what, like I said, phase of life I'm in, I can't go more than like four days without doing some sort of, of movement and exercise. Um, and then lately I've really been focusing on sleep. It wasn't something that I did before because I don't think that we are really taught to understand just how crucial that is in every aspect of healing and health. Um, but like eight hours, non-negotiable. Like the only time I don't get that is if I have like a four in the morning flight, I've got to take or something, right? I really, really strive for eight hours every single night, if not more. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I have so many things to follow up with about that, but I love all those. The first being, um, I know we talked about a little bit previously, but what is some things that you do to really optimize your sleep? Because I think there's so many things that people can eliminate that like we don't even think about. Yes. Um, blue light. I know it's one nobody wants to hear and I'm bad at it too. I'm bad at working late and like being up on my phone. Um, but if you could even get like 100% blue light blocking glasses, that's a huge help. But the blue light is signaling our cortisol, right? And so when our cortisol goes up, obviously that's kind of like what is making us more energetic. But from another aspect of it, cortisol and melatonin have an inverse relationship. So as we look at blue light and our cortisol goes up, our melatonin, which should be going up, is now not because that cortisol is driving it down. And so in order to kind of like, we want our melatonin to increase at night, you know? So in order to keep that increase at the pattern we want it to be, we really need to limit blue light exposure and calm our cortisol levels down so our melatonin can properly increase. Um, so that's a not fun one, but a, a good one. Um, the second thing I love doing is my temperature is always set to 68 degrees. Um, lower body temperature also helps melatonin production. So even if like I had to work late or like I was you know doing something late and I don't feel like I'm properly winding down, I will get in um, a warm shower and get out because then my body will have to cool itself down and that will drop my internal body temperature and then help melatonin production. Um, I've also been loving CBD. Um, a good quality CBD I think is great. Um, CBD can also be really beneficial for the GI tract. Um, so I think, you know, sometimes we are exposed to different stressors. Sometimes you can't help what you have going on after work or at nighttime. And so I like having CBD as a tool to use when I'm just feeling a little bit more wound up or I just like really want some restful sleep. Um, I also love magnesium at night. I love that. Um, and then I love a legs up the wall. Like I'll read and have my legs up the wall. If I can like do that, I notice how much deeper of a sleep that I get at night. Yeah. And uh, my cousins do the, um, legs on the wall. Is that the lymphatic drainage? Is that what that is? Okay. That's so interesting. I, when I do it, I, I don't do it that often, but I do it before bed and I do notice I sleep like more deeply if I do that before bed. It also gets you into your parasympathetic nervous system. So your nervous system is just more calm in that position too. And so I think it's beneficial. And if you're doing that, you're not like running around doing other things, right? You're laying there, you're just like, having a calm moment to yourself before bed. So I think there's like a lot of different aspects of that that can help in a nighttime routine, even if you do it for three minutes. Totally. And when you put your legs down, it may, like your feet feel weird for a little yeah. bit, right? Okay. Okay. Just want to make that normal because that happens to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. And also just like, 
when you think about like the meals that you're eating throughout the day, like how do you ensure that like you're really building a plate or like making food that's like very nourishing and it's going to like really, you're going to be like, like digest optimally and everything like that. And so one, I, I like to call it, this can be different for every person, right? Because if you have poor protein digestion or you're not digesting fats properly, some of these meals might not work for you. We've got to fix those things first, right? Um, so I'm somebody who um, my endocrine levels were indicating that I was not digesting protein proper, properly um, due to some other things that were going on in my gut. So at that point, um, I really love having a shot of apple cider vinegar before my meals. Obviously, there's the blood sugar component where apple cider vinegar helps to uh, stabilize blood sugars through your meal. But it also um, helps to break down your food. We are stomach acid that's like literal battery acid and it's so strong to break down your food in your stomach. Um, but we're noticing that a lot of people have depleted stomach acid. Stomach acid can be depleted through many things. One of them is stress. Um, so I like kind of having the shot of apple cider vinegar before my meals. And then I think always starting the plate with protein, right? If you start the plate with protein, it's harder to go wrong. It's harder to overeat. It's harder to spike blood sugar levels because I'm guilty of this too. When when we're busy and we're trying to grab something, we're programmed to grab carbs, right? We have like these pick these quick packaged snacks, or we have like, you know, crackers or something like that that's like popcorn, pretzels, whatever it is, like a quick carb, and that's gonna spike our blood sugar and then not keep us sustained with energy and it's not going to be good for any for any parties involved, right? Obviously I still have like a snack of popcorn sometimes <laughs> if I want to, right? But for the majority of the meals, it's like starting with that protein, no matter what it is. If it's it's it could be like a epic bar. Um, it could be a protein smoothie. Um, I'll put, like if I have no protein on hand, I'll make a matcha latte and put a scoop of protein powder in my matcha and have that with like a slice of peanut butter toast or whatever it is that I'm having, right? So think about how you can start with a protein and then let everything else build around it. I'll like think of what I have as a protein source on hand and then build everything else around it. So from there, I think it's just as clean ingredients as you can. I like to say from farm, land, or sea. Um, if you start with that, it's going to have a, an easier time, you know, um, building your plate. So if it's from the farm, it's from the land, it's from a sea, like you're, you're on a good track there, right? So having vegetables quickly on hand in the fridge. I'm like not the best vegetable eater, I will admit. I was always like a picky eater growing up. So now like having things that I really like, like beets on hand or like cut up bell peppers and things like that that are super easy to grab. Um, I love doing that. And so start with a protein and veggie, then add in your carb. It sounds super basic, but I think no matter what, if you start with that protein, then the rest can kind of build around it. So that's what I try to base all my meals off of. And then um, I think, you know, the brands that I'm buying, like I love Simple Mills when for what I do need a snack. I love all of their products. Um, I love Quinn, it's like a pretzel brand. If I am having that, like hummus or guacamole. Um, and so I think really having the whole foods on hand and then having those cleaner snack options now, because I think we're lucky to have those cleaner brands that are making our favorite snacks that we grew up with in a much better way to have. So I think also having those makes you feel like you're not depriving yourself of anything, right? You would still have your favorite snacks that you want, but just start with this basis and then everything else will um, kind of fall into place if you focus on what you can add in versus what you should be taking out. Yeah. I love the whole like um, motto, just like what can you add and stop, instead of like what can you take out? Because I've like noticed that that really actually helps me like really build my plate in like the most nourishing ways. Like when I think about what I can add and yeah. I think starting with a protein is such a good idea because it also like helps you like kind of inspire the way like what yeah. type of meal or like meal you want to create. Absolutely. Yeah. I love the what you can add in versus what you can take out um, motto during travel too. Like when people are traveling, you're like, well, I shouldn't be eating this dessert or I shouldn't be having this glass of wine. It's like, instead of thinking that, be like, okay, I have this dessert. I have a glass of wine. Can I add in a green juice tomorrow? Can I add in a smoothie that has like a lot of nourishing ingredients in it? Focus on what you can add and one, your mind that's going to be better, which we know will trickle down to your physical health as well if you have a better mindset. 
Totally. And I think like, as you know, like if you're going to eat a carb, like adding in maybe like a protein source or like a fat to like satiate you and sustain you longer. And so what is like the whole science behind just like the pairing of the foods that really helps you like stay satisfied longer? Yes. So it has to do with blood sugar regulation. So it's the rate at which um, these foods are being broken down and then spiking your glucose levels. Um, protein is broken down slower. And so it's going to have a more stabilizing effect on your blood sugar. Whereas carbs, they're quicker. They can be broken down for quick energy and that will spike your blood sugar a little bit more. So when we have our blood sugar spikes, that can lead to a number of things if we've dysregulated blood sugar, such as hormone imbalances. Um, as I said before, um, blood sugar and cortisol have a really, really tight relationship. Um, so as well, okay, let me start with this, actually give a little crash course on the blood sugar and cortisol slash energy. I think this is a really good thing that I think is a foundational concept for people to understand. But our cortisol um, is our stress hormone, essentially, right? It's secreted by our adrenals in response to stress. However, cortisol and our blood sugar have a very close relationship. So one of the things that cortisol can break down um, for quick energy is, you know, it can break down fat, it can break down muscle, right? But when it's breaking those things down, it's spiking our blood sugar. And so it has a very, very close relationship. So if we spike our blood sugar through what we're eating, then our cortisol can be spiked. And if we have dysregulated cortisol, that's where we get the energy highs and lows from. And if our cortisol is crashing, we're going to crash, right? Because we, with cortisol, we want this like optimal diurnal pattern of it being highest in the morning and lowest at night and kind of doing this gradual decrease during the day. So if what we're eating causes our cortisol or in our blood sugar to have this roller coaster pattern, then we're going to experience anxiety, we're going to experience fatigue, poor sleep, all of the above. And so if we're able to stabilize that blood sugar, then we have a better chance of being able to stabilize our cortisol levels, which will then help our energy. Okay. And what are some ways to like stabilize um, your blood sugar? Like what types of like meals or like pairing and everything like is it always necessary to like I know with meals it's so important to like incorporate carbs fats and proteins and things like that but for like a snack like if you wanted like what's the best pairing like with that so I would say like okay let's say you have no protein sources on hand right or you just like don't want that at the moment you just want more of a snack I think pairing it with a fat like a carb with a fat so um for example like I said chips and guacamole at least you're not having just the chips right you're having that guacamole to slow the absorption and therefore stabilize the blood sugar better um or i love adding cinnamon to things so like say you're having a slice of toast with peanut butter adding cinnamon on top of it cinnamon is actually really powerful in stabilizing blood sugar um so adding something like that on there or maybe you just have a shot of apple cider vinegar before you have that higher carbohydrate stack or like the dessert whatever it may be to help stabilize the blood sugar but if you don't have the protein i would say just don't have the naked carbs if that makes sense pair the carbs with something to slow that digestion a little bit. And the second part that I'll add to that is it also depends on the person. So different foods can spike your blood sugar for different people. So um, I have worn a CGM, which is a constant glucose monitor. And so for example, I could eat a plain banana, which is essentially carbohydrates, right? And it could spike my blood sugar very high. You could eat a banana and it could, might not do anything to yours, right? And so it depends on the person. It depends on everyone's body. That's where the whole bio individuality idea comes back. And so um, like for me, my smoothies, that obviously they're balanced with protein and fiber and fat, but smoothies can still like spike some people sometimes due to the fruit and natural sugars, they keep me like a flat line, like perfectly stable. Um, whereas like I noticed that if I have a handful of pretzels first when I'm really hungry and then even have like a protein source, my blood sugar is already spiked because I've had those carbs first. Um, so I think it's very individual in that sense. And I think that at some point in their life, everyone can benefit from wearing a CGM and just understanding what their blood sugar is doing throughout the day. 
Definitely. And I think like obviously doing something like that would be very be- like beneficial, but also just like trial and error. It's going to take a while to figure out like what works for you. And yeah. so what are some just clear indicators? And I know you probably already mentioned it, but like indicators that like you kind of are spiking your blood sugar, like is it the fatigue or just like yeah, it can it can show up differently in everybody, and it can show up in ways that you can't necessarily feel at that moment in time. So sometimes it's hard to tie back to the exact you know feeling of having your blood sugar spike. But yeah, of course, if you're ramping up your cortisol, you can ramp up anxiety because that's your stress hormone, right? Um, if you're experiencing fatigue, like in the middle of the day, um, like you're really tired at like 1 p.m. all the time. Um, if you don't wake up feeling refreshed, that can be cortisol issues, which can be from blood sugar. Um, if you're not able to sleep through the night, that's a, more of an uncommon one, I would say. But, you know, some people will have their blood sugar drop so low in the middle of the night because their cortisol can't regulate it. Um, and that can be an issue there that can lead to obviously poor sleep. And you're not feeling well rested in the morning. Um, so there's a number of different ways that can affect it because it can also affect it through like hormone imbalances that you can't really feel in that moment. Um, but yeah, I would say energy for sure. And anxiety, if you're feeling like kind of like weird bouts of anxiety throughout the day, really kind of high and low energy highs and fatigue dips, then that could be a telltale sign. Okay. That makes sense. And for like, I, I like do try to limit my protein bars, like intake and everything just because I know like some, I actually have noticed like personally when I eat too much protein powder or like protein bars, like I definitely notice like my anxiety is worse yeah. than if it, I'm not. And it just like, I also feel it on my body. Like I just feel more like stuffed up. Yeah. Um, but I do still like love, I do like them. So I'd love to hear like, what are your like brands that you recommend like for protein powders and protein bars? Yes. Yeah, so I'll start with protein bars. And I will say that they're kind of limited, right? Like I'll look through Whole Foods hoping for a really clean protein bar and it's not, that's never really perfect, but there are some brands that are really great. So one, I know this might not be a protein bar to some people, but like Epic Bars, it's like the beef bars. Sounds kind of weird, but that's like one of the cleanest protein bars you can find, right? A grass-fed like beef bar or like a chomstick. Um, so that's one. Other kind of more true protein bar brands. Um, I'm going to butcher the name of this, but it's like Mezcla, Mezcla. I know exactly which one you're talking about. They're in Whole Foods um, and they're pretty clean. I've been liking those and just having them on hand for like a quick snack or for when I'm traveling. Um, And the other ones are IQ bars, which you can't really find in a grocery store. I think maybe probably like Air One. Um, But other than that, I think you have to order them. And then um, RAR bars, like R-A-W-R, those are very clean as well. And I'd say those are kind of like the top clean ones that I've found as far as protein powders. um, I love Be Well by Kelly. I don't know if you're familiar with Kelly Levesque, but Mm -hmm. I love her. Um, She has a clean grass-fed beef isolate protein powder. Um, I love Truvani, which is a very clean pea protein powder. created by the food babe who does like a, a big ingredient deep dive on her Instagram. So that's a good one. Um, what are some other ones? Promix. Um, Promix is like, I feel like a newer company, but they have um, protein powders that are very clean. And then I'm missing one of my go-tos. I'm missing one of my go-tos. I think it might be, I'll have, to, I'll have to come back to you. There's definitely one, there's like a few others that I'm missing too that I always go to, but I really love honestly alternating between Be Well by Kelly and Truvani. Those are kind of like my go-tos. Yeah, be well with what I've been wanting to try her protein powder for so long with the um Kelly's. Um, my my friend has tried it and she really likes it. I, I just know it's like a little bit pricey, so that's yeah. the only like reason I don't. But I know and but I know it's like um you said meat or protein or what is it meat? It's grass fed beef protein isolate. Yeah. Yes, and I've heard you can't even taste it and that it's delicious. No. So I've been wanting to try it just because like I do notice like when I eat certain protein powders, like I do not feel well after. So I want to make sure that like the protein powder I'm using like definitely. It's yeah. like more clean. Yes. Yeah. That's, and there's, 
there's brands that are like still fine, right? Like Sun Warrior is a brand in Whole Foods and I, I, I've used that one plenty of times because it's more cost effective. There are like some ingredients that I don't love in there, but it's like fine. Like I recommend it. I think it's great, especially if you're like, you know what? I just can't get BL by Kelly's $50 protein right now. Totally fine, right? Like what other outlets can we use? And I definitely don't want to, you know, deter people from really just kind of starting to get that protein in their diet, even if it is through um, a scoop of protein powder here and there. Totally. And yeah, the other protein bars you mentioned, I already, I've tried all those and really like all of them. I did. Have you ever had like the Aloha bars? You know what? I haven't tried those yet. Because I, I feel like those are pr- like le- not too many ingredients, but I really like like they t- actually taste good too. Okay, I'll have to try those. I have seen those in stores. Yeah. Um, also, what's like your perspective on alcohol and how it like kind of like affects your health? Because like personally, I feel like I mean, I feel like my attention around alcohol has definitely changed as I've gotten older and, you know, graduated college and it's been post-grad a little bit, but I feel like I do, like I, we used to get really bad anxiety and stuff. So like, that's why it has really helped or like helped me, like motivated me to really stop drinking. I just noticed that I don't feel well the next day, like mentally, but like, what's your perspective on it and how it like affects our health? Yes. I love this question actually, because I have like a lot of different perspectives on this too. And I think, you know, as somebody who's 24, I'm still kind of like recently out of college, right? Like I'm probably drinking more alcohol now than I will in 10 years, right? And that's okay. I think there's two ways to look at it. I think there's a scientific approach and there is like the season of life approach, so call it. So the scientific approach says that alcohol is not good for you. It's not. Like even those claims that say like, oh, a little bit of red wine is good for you. Yeah, it's like two ounces of red wine. And I don't know about you, but I've never just had two ounces of red wine. (laughs) So in that sense, like, yeah, your body is metabolizing a poison essentially, right? Your body has to then divert its attention to getting this toxic poison out of you. And therefore it's not going to focus on proper digestion. It's not going to focus on giving you glowing skin, right? Um, It's not, obviously you're not going to get good sleep when you drink alcohol alcohol and that can create blood sugar dysregulation the following day. So from a scientific physical perspective, alcohol is not good for you. However, from a kind of social perspective, we have to address that a sense of community and social like interactions in life is essential to health, right? We, if we just kind of sat in and didn't really do anything and, and, you know, just focus on our health all the time, we'd still be missing that community aspect. And so I'm not saying if you are somebody who wants to go out and not drink, that's totally fine. As long as you're getting that community aspect and you're surrounding yourself with like-minded people, then great. For me personally, I love to have a glass of wine with my friends. I love to have a spicy margarita, right? Like I'm in that season of life where I'm very social and I love doing those things. I love tailgating. And so how can we just make it as easy on our body as possible and put the cleanest forms of alcohol in our body as possible, if that makes sense, right? So I love things like June Shine, um, which is like the hard kombucha. I love those. Um, I've been really gravitating towards like when I do drink wine, natural wines. And then if I'm drinking liquor, it's like a, a tequila, high quality tequila, most likely with honestly like water and some lemon juice or I'll do like some water and tahine, um, or like pour my element electrolytes in my cocktail. <laughs> um, I love those. And so I think there's a lot of ways to do alcohol, right. And then while I am drinking, you know, making sure that I am getting protein in to kind of stabilize my blood sugar while I'm drinking. And then I love taking when I like, you know, get home from going out or having drinks, whatever I'm doing before I go to bed, I like taking a binder to help to bind to some of those toxins of the alcohol and get them out of my body. So I think there's two components. And again, it's something that's very individual. Like I said, at this stage of life, I do drink still, and I think that you can be healthy and still do it when you just care for your bodies in different ways. Yeah, I love your perspective on it because I think it is like, you know, it's a balance. You don't like have to like be fully sober or you like you also don't need to be like drinking like a ton every time you go out. So I think it's like all about balance and finding like what works for you. I did notice it like for me, tequila 
works so much better with like managing my anxiety the next day. Like it weirdly, like it doesn't affect me like vodka does. Like vodka really does not make me feel good the next day. So yeah. And I think, you know, like if I'm going to a happy hour during the week, I'm getting a mocktail. Like one, I got too much stuff to do during the week to have any bit of a hangover. It's really on occasions, right? It's the tailgate. It's the girls weekends, um, the holidays where like having a drink makes me happy and I want to do that with people I love. And so I think it's also once you have that, that mindset of balance where it's like, I can have a drink if I want it, but I don't need it. Then you're more likely to actually say no to it. Like during those little happy hours or little instances where like, maybe you just don't need that drink. Right. And so when you kind of understand the bigger picture of health, you understand when it's worth it to have the sacrifice of having the alcohol and that's totally fine. You know how to compensate for it the next day. And when it's just not so worth it to have the drink. Yeah, hundred percent. Is there anything that you wish you like now, like being in like having the knowledge that you have now, like things that you wish you knew sooner regarding health or just like things you would like tell your younger self? Oh my gosh. Stop restricting and stop over-exercising. I think that, you know, unfortunately we grew up in the generation of where the path to health that was marketed was really, if you want to be health, not only to be skinny, so to call it, but if you wanted to be healthy, eat less, work out more. Like that's how you look healthy. That's you achieve optimal body composition, like eat less, work out more. That's, that was like the, the kind of the equation. Right. And so now, oh my gosh, like if there's one kind of like myth that I want to trump in this industry, it's that calories in versus calories out does not always equal weight loss. Like there is just, your body's too smart. Your body's much smarter than you. Right. And it's going to outrule you every single time. So if you try to override it by not eating enough and working out too much, it will wreak havoc and it, it, it will cause symptoms down the road. Right. And so I think everyone understanding, you know, that in order to properly function, even to properly lose weight, our body has to feel safe. And if we are restricting food, it's not going to feel safe. Right. It does not know the difference between a diet and a famine. It's going to be like, whoa, we're not getting any food. We need to save all the fat on us that we have left for energy in case something happens, right? And so it's like, it's so, now that I've learned it, it's so counterintuitive. And so just understanding that like working with your body versus against your body is always the way to go. Like working against your body is never going to work. That was like the most like beautifully said thing ever because I could just can resonate with like everything you said. Cause like I've also like in the past, like struggled with like over-exercise, like restricting foods. And it's just like, the more I know now, like I would never, like I would tell like myself something very similar, but it's just, it's yeah. It's so important to like, like make your body feel safe and like, like, like support it and not try to like change. I don't know. I, I agree with everything you said. No, absolutely. And I, I hope that, you know, more girls who are like, in that age that's more susceptible to some of the restrictive eating and over-exercising or even just like yo-yo dieting like in high school and early college are now getting this message through social media that that's not the answer um especially you know when you're on birth control and you are drinking in college or whatever it is right that's just a lot on your body and it's going to come up in your hormones later in life and your gut as well so um i think i hope that them at this age will get this message yeah. And just like quickly like, touching on like the birth control aspect cuz I am now on like an IUD is like how is like, cause I know there's like some controversy regarding the birth control and everything, but it's like an IUD a little bit safer of an option for your body. Yeah. I think it depends on who you ask. And to be honest, so I love Dr. Sarah Gottfried on this. Um, she is kind of more of an expert in women's hormones too. And she dives into this. I don't feel like completely equipped to fully answer that question yet on the exact differences of like, Oh, here's where IUD is better. Here's where birth control is not. What I will say is, um, when I was on birth control, I recently went off of it. Um, I started out on the pill and then I switched to the NuvaRing and I did that because I knew Obviously, there were still synthetic hormones in my body, but I knew I didn't want the pill, like that synthetic hormone pill going through my GI tract, right? And so I think there is something to be said about having that in your gut and go through your gut and where it can wreak havoc there. 
on top of the synthetic hormones, right? And so I think birth control in itself, it's it's shutting off the communication between your brain and your ovaries, right? And so I think it depends on the person. I think it depends on why you want our birth control. Like I think, you know, a lot of people are doing it just to solve acne. And like there are so many other things that we can do to solve acne, right? Um, and so I think it's very individual. But yeah, I won't I won't speak on the exacts of like if an IUD is so much better. So I don't feel like completely qualified to speak on that yet. But I think there are aspects, yes, where like, yeah, it's not going through your gut, right? It's not this pill. And so there are aspects in where it's a little bit better than the pill. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And then just to conclude things, I always ask two questions. Um, the first being, what is your favorite quote or piece of advice? Okay. I've lived by this one since like, I don't know, maybe I was like 14. Um, and it's like, it was one of those like little silly Pinterest quotes, right? That I had read and, and pinned and saved forever. But it's essentially this quote that tells you to live like you're 80. And what I mean by that is like, you know, if you're 80 years old and your mom asked you to go to get lunch, like when you're 20, one, 24, maybe like, oh, I don't have time. Sorry, I'm busy today. But if you were 80, you would give anything to go have lunch with your mom, right? And so same thing goes for like career. Like if you were 80, looking back on your life and you're like, I wish I just went for that career path. Like I wish I just did it. Or like, I wish I just took that trip or, you know, maybe it's looking back and realizing like that wasn't that serious at the time. I made such a big deal out of it. So I think when like life gets a little bit tricky or you get a little bit stressed, like zooming out and like looking at it, like you were 80 years old, what, how would you think about the situation then is something that I always put myself coming back to. Yeah. I love that so much. That's a, such good advice. And then what is your, something you do every day that brings you joy? Oh, right now it's working on my business. I love, love, I've always loved obviously the health aspect, but I also love the entrepreneurial aspect and um, the business like marketing piece of it. And so I genuinely get so excited to work on my business in some aspect, whether that's putting together protocols, doing things on social media, like answering emails, just little things like that. I think it brings me so much joy because there's so much like I don't know. I'm at this cool spot where it's like just the beginning and I have no idea if it's going to be successful, if it's not going to be like, and there's so much potential. And so I, I generally wake up and will immediately open my eyes and start thinking about like clients' blood markers that I've seen and what else it could mean. And I'm just like what I could do that day. And so right now I think it, it'll change in every season of life, right? But right now working my business every day is bringing me so much joy and fulfillment. That is so awesome. And what are some ways that you market your business to reach like a larger audience? Yeah. So we're lucky now with social media, right? I think it's a double-edged sword though, because social media has definitely have gotten a lot of my clientele, to be honest, um, and reaching people through there. And I think, you know, even just showing people the day-to-day -day stuff that it's hard to, it's hard to convey, like, you know, the analyzation of the different blood works and the different functional lab tests, like it's hard to convey everything that's going into that. And so showing little tidbits in social media, I love doing, cause it also just like brings people in on the process. And if they are experiencing symptoms, then they can be like, oh, okay, maybe this would help me. Maybe I can benefit from this. Um, so I think social media is a great way, but to be honest, I am excited about doing some podcasts because I think this longer form content, like it's just hard to convey all this through a social media reel, you know, like it's hard to convey all the things about functional lab testing. It also takes a lot of time. Um, so I, I love podcasts. And then I also, I love word of mouth. Um, I think that can be one of the best ways to market a business, especially a health practice, right? If hopefully clients have really good experiences and they tell their friends and family too. So I think right now, while I'm still very, very small, kind of my main forms are social media and just word of mouth, just focusing on doing a really, really good and thorough job with my clients. And if they have a good experience, then they will organically go and tell their friends and family, or even if their you know, friends and family aren't having symptoms. Like I've had a lot of clients being like, I want, I want to get my, you know, my mom this to have her blood work run and just like checked up on and just like make sure that everything's going okay. And so I think, um, the word of mouth will honestly be probably one of the biggest ways I use to market my business in the future. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, cool. Well, I want to let you um, let everyone know where they can find you before I let you go. Yes. On Instagram at Hannah Brooke Wellness. And um, my website is www.hannahbrookwellness.com. 
Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on. Yes, thank you so much for having me. It was so nice chatting with you.